Welcome back to the Everyday Hair Colorist. Today's guest is the fantastic Charlotte Cave. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Jack. That's very kind. Thank you. Well, we actually properly met a, f- a few weeks back at the launch of Colour World TV, which was totally different circumstances. And we were sat, we were doing a Genius Bar chat, and um, I was just, what you were talking about just really resonated with me. And I just felt like, I had to get you on here um, and let everyone hear some of the things that you have to say because I thought they were really interesting and I thought they were really clever and thoroughly modern. But before we go to that, I'd really like to talk about your career. And I know that um, you started hairdressing like me 30 odd years ago. I've got a bit more than you, but and you started off in Leeds. Yeah. So what was that like then for you? Uh, well, growing up in Leeds in the 80s was not a piece of cake, uh, that's for sure. So it was a very grim backdrop. Uh, I think everyone romanticises a little bit about the North and you're not supposed to really say anything bad about the North and I'm not saying anything bad about it. But certainly Margaret Thatcher years, it was a very squeezed economy. So, yes. so while she didn't have very much, I don't remember not having very much, if you know what I mean. So training training in, in Leeds at that time was gruelling, but it's just what you did. I didn't really think about it. I remember one of my first jobs, it was in Carlo and Jeffreys in Leeds, city centre. <laughs> um, uh, the manager at the time, if she's still alive, I doubt it, so I can be a bit mean about her. But she handed me, we lived at the... Salon was like a two thousand square foot salon, and they'd done they'd put on the floor tiny little square mosaic tiles, and I don't think they'd ever been cleaned. And uh, my job, she gave me a knife and a toothbrush and some bleach, and that was my job for three weeks was to clean the tiles. <laughs> so I, I think that <laughs> you, you know that was the norm yeah. for for apprentices at the time because I remember having because I was tall. I had to stand on a salon chair, which of course rotates, and I had to wipe the ceilings from the condensation. <laughs> I mean... Do you know what I mean? But it, that sort of thing doesn't happen anymore, but it was gruelling, but also, I don't know, it just, there was a discipline in it. I don't think it was necessarily the right way to do it. It was certainly the way that it was done. Is but there, there was a discipline in yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like... You know, if you're European or something, for if you're German, for example, uh, you have to go to the army for a year or something. I don't even know if that's yeah. still, still a thing. But anyway, so whilst that can be very unhealthy, I mean, I have got a thing about grout on my tiles <laughs> as as I live and breathe. So, so and I am, a, I like a very tidy space. And I'm not. Yes, I do. So, and I'm not necessarily a tidy hairdresser. Some of my staff will be falling over on the ground because I can be a bit chaotic depending what mood I am. But I am a bit of a clean freak with the salon. Mm. So I think you are right. There is something a bit like that army initiation where it was a bit rubbish that they were training me basically to be a cleaner. But because of that, I am actually a very good cleaner. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, the whole the whole thing. I think a lot of young people, when they sort of when we talk, they're like, "Oh, that was then. This is now." But actually, the it was, it was a very tough training, and it didn't matter where you were in the country. Mm. It seemed like we all had to do that. The training was after work, of course, and you weren't paid for that. Yes, at all. I mean, I still can't quite get over that I have to pay for people to stay and train, but oh, I shouldn't say that, my staff, but anyway. I, I, I can't get my head around it. Yes. But, of course, you can get your head around yes, it. Yes, of course. It's, it's glaringly obvious, but it's like, that never happened to me. No, well, basically, what we were saying is that we want to treat people properly, unlike yes. us in the 80s, which I'm very glad yeah. to have to pedal back quite quickly on that one but uh... it's okay I had I had perm rods thrown across the floor setting rollers as if you looked away and went into a dream about something it was thrown on the floor and it brought you back to reality yes. wasn't it yes, yes my yes. other my other chore that I hated was um washing perm papers and drying them on the radiator to reuse them <laughs> 
<laughs> actually, I never had that. Oh my yeah. god! I do remember yeah. though the day it felt like the most my proudest day ever in hairdressing when someone came over to me and she said, "Oh." You've graduated now. You are able to neutralise. And I was like, oh, I can neutralise. Oh, my God. It was like the worst yes. thing ever. I remember one Saturday I had like 12 perms um, in the bat wash and I had just me neutralising because I never had sick days. So I was the only one in again. Um, and I was and I was just thinking, how has this turned out to be a promotion on £28.50 a week? Uh, and I had 12 uh, perms to neutralise. Uh, but anyway, so yes, that's... But there were, th- there were those. I mean, we can't spend too much time reminiscing about no. how terrible it was. God. But there were, those, there were those levels that you got through. And I remember going to... Being able to neutralise was a highlight. Yes. And it, it sort of... It went on from there, didn't it, yes. really? You know, then you got to rinse the colour and you got to do this and got to do that. I mean, there, was, there were ways in which your confidence built and that you felt like you were achieving goals through yes. it. So you started off scrubbing tiles. Yeah. <laughs> when did the hair start? Well, I was a funny one with hairdressing because I, I don't know what sort of innate faith I seem to have in myself. But the first week I was there between the tiles, this old lady came in and said, oh, can you, can I have a blow dry? And I just went, oh, well, I can do that. And it was a round brush. So, and the, but the owners went, oh, yeah, book it in with her. That's fine. So I obviously caught a hair brush in my lady's hair where I had to cut it out. So that was my first that was my first appointment, but I I was very confident. So and I stayed I just I just wanted to get out, I think, you know, I wanted to get out and get on. Yes. And I I hadn't really even intended to be a hairdresser as often is the way with some hairdressers that I meet with their stories you just kind of thought well my mum told me I needed to get a job um and so she thought that was a good one so I just wanted to get on and get up to doing hair and I just didn't really think it was going to be that difficult and of course so I just put myself out there so hair began began quite quickly but after I was qualified really I suppose three years the usual three years isn't it Jack when we did, when I did my theory, but I'd I'd been doing hair. I, I trained in an Afro Caribbean store, um, so I was quite an unusual person, given that I'm Caucasian. Um, That's fascinating. That's really interesting because Lisa Farrell was on, and she went and worked in an Afro Caribbean store as well because she felt like she wanted to know more because she couldn't do Afro hair. But you actually started your training in an Afro-Caribbean hair. Well, well, it wasn't. So at Carlo and Jeffrey's, um, the best hairdresser there was this man called Sean. He was an amazing hairdresser. He was so handsome as well. I just used to faint every time I walked past me at my <laughs> 17-year-old self. And he, he had a particular way of turning his scissors, which actually I stole and I do now, which... I don't know anyone else who does that, but I'm sure there is loads. But he was the best hairdresser in the salon, so I just looked at him when, well, I'm just going to go there, right? I'm just going to follow him. So when he left, I left with him. And then he set up a small studio. Um, it was just two chairs, and I just assisted him and built from there. But most of his clients had afro hair, and then we sort of mixed it up a little bit. Uh, so so it was very good training Afro, you know, working in that discipline is, I found, brilliant. It's brilliant for blow dries and, you know. Well, if you can get that curly hair smooth and shiny, whoa-ho, where you go, hey? Exactly. Well, seriously, so Gabrielle was the pop star of the moment in those days. What was that, 1991 or something? With the eye patch, you know. So my uh, demi wave was second to none. Is so, um, so it all. For those of you that don't know what a demi wave is, that's a perm, <laughs> by the way. Well, you know the Marcel. So it was the Marcel wave, but from the demi wave. So every Saturday, I used to do the Marcel wave, like Gabrielle's hair, uh, right? Ready for the blue. with actually with the traditional. Um, iron that you put in the heater oh yeah yeah, yeah. and then completely yeah. you know so, so wow so it was uh so it was good they used to queue up i loved it <laughs> but that that was only about two years into my uh career really and then 
I think I did a bit of blagging, you know, like you do. I just, I went to another hairdresser's in Leeds, pretended I could be, I was a hairdresser. That was terrible. Oh my God. I used to, <gasps> some of the haircuts I used to do. But so I kind of learned on the blag. And then I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing. And in fact, I slightly regret nobody saying to me, don't you think you should go to Vidal soon on Westro in Leeds, which was a very glamorous. And I used to stand in the window and stare inside and think, ooh. Uh, <laughs> but it just didn't occur to me, my self-confidence, it just didn't occur to me that I could go to Vidal soon. So, right. Uh, I'd, uh, so it was all a bit... Uh, it would be a very different path if you'd done that anyway, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, well, yes, completely. So can't read right then. No, yeah. shoulda, woulda, coulda. We can't be doing that. We have to. We have to look at... The paths that we take. Well, I think I think what's interesting when I talk to my team now, when uh, just to bring it back to something relevant other than just my uh, long history, um, is sometimes I can be quite inefficient in some of my haircuts. Right. So because I'm instinctive, so I think it's a really good. So for me to be able to tell somebody how I do something. I'm not interested in angles. I'm not interested in 30 degrees. I mean, my thing is just, just cut it. I don't really see the problem. But <laughs> a, f- a, f- a feeling. You cut with a feeling. I cut with a feeling. <laughs> rather, rather, than, rather than sometimes... Because there are two types of hairdressers, I think. There's the... And two types of colorists. So I'm going to, you know, the whole the whole thing. There's the ones that feel, mm. and it's an emotional experience for them, the way in which they cut and color. And then there's the ones who are like, this is the way you do it. And it's a very disciplined way of doing it. But mm. it always feels very regimented to me. Because my haircuts are a feeling rather than a technical uh, solution, I suppose, to what you're going to do. So if you're going to do an inverted bob, there is a technical solution within angles and balance and all of that. So I can't teach that. So what I teach, what I train, train or teach or share, I think share is a good... Share is a good one. Yeah, share is a good word, is I share imagery because it's not really, I don't think, about the execution of a haircut. It's about the idea. So if you don't have the idea, then it doesn't really matter whether the haircut, what the haircut is. So the idea has to come first. So then you have to unpick who the client is, right? And who's, so then it becomes about style, which is yes. where I am much more interested in, I suppose. And more instinctive. More instinctive. I love words like that. (laughs) Now, you quit Leeds after you'd qualified. I had to get out of there, Jack. (laughs) To get out of Leeds. But you you went to the London College of Fashion. Yes. So in one of my very many blagging moments of getting on quickly and getting on with the job... I was cutting this woman's hair. I still, I'd love to see her again. She was called Sandy Hodgkinson. She was this amazing, she had a convertible Wrangler Jeeps. Do you remember those in the 90s? Yes. And she was the most, I just thought she was the most glamorous woman I'd ever met. She was like really tall and had bleach blonde hair and had a Jeep. She always had really gorgeous boyfriends. And I used to cut her hair. Or I started cutting her hair. Anyway, I was like, oh, what do you do then? And she was like, oh, I'm a photographer. So I was like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, can I come and watch you? Um, and she said, you can come and watch me anytime. So I said, oh, I'll come whenever. Uh, but of course, I worked from Monday to Saturday. So she, so then she said, well, I'm doing a test shoot on Sunday. Do you want to come? So I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be amazing. So off I went on a Sunday to watch, just to watch uh, Sandy and this makeup artist and hairdresser do a shoot. So I, I, off I went, but the makeup artist didn't turn up because she was hungover. So we had the model, the <laughs> photographer, because we are in Leeds in the 90s now. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's called, our industry's a little bit like that though, it's I think. Bit, it's a little bit unreliable. <laughs> no, I, I just think that sometimes people get carried away on a Saturday night and forget they got to work on Sunday. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I suppose as well she thought she was doing it, she was doing it for free, so it didn't really matter. Anyway, so then... So there I was, and I was like, oh, I'll do it. I can do the hair and makeup. Obviously, never having picked up a makeup brush in my life. And I still have those pictures as well from my very first shoot. So so I did the hair and makeup 
uh, for poor Sandy and this poor model where I stuck a sort of purple plait somewhere. It was very weird. Anyway, but I completely loved it. And I asked Sandy, how do you become a makeup artist like the other Charlotte that didn't turn up? And she said, oh, well, you can do two ways. Uh, you can pay for, uh, I think it was called Glacio Rosso. I think it still exists a school in London to train to be a makeup artist, but it was very expensive and I was very, very poor. Or you can apply to go to London College of Fashion, which is much harder because at HND, so it's on a degree level. But I didn't have any qualifications. Um, get the violin out, everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I just thought, well, I can't go to the posh school because I've got any money. So I'll just go to London College of Fashion. And it just didn't really occur to me that I wouldn't get in. So I just applied. That's brilliant. <laughs> that really is brilliant. And you obviously got in. And I got in. And my mum, who <clears throat> my poor mum, both my sisters are very academic. And so there was just little old me at the end of the end of the day. And so she drove me to London and, I, and she was like prepping me. And she was like, you know, you've got to say this. And I was like, oh, it'll be fine, Mum. And I remember exactly what I wore. I had bleach blonde hair and I wore the I pin. I was obsessed with Marilyn Monroe at the time. So I wore this 60s white coat with white sort of weird trousers. I don't know where I got those from. And a white shirt. And I'd pin curled my hair, but leaving, you know, the pins in. Yeah. Um, so I must have looked mad, but it just I just thought I looked like Marilyn Monroe. I just walked around thinking I looked like Marilyn Monroe the whole t- for about 10 years. <laughs> but anyway, and so I was I don't know why I wasn't worried. I went, oh, it'll be fine, Mum, don't worry about it. So I went for my interview. Obviously, nothing to offer except enthusiasm and Marilyn Monroe lookalikey, <laughs> not... And then I came out of the interview and my mum was in the cafe opposite the college, which was at Oxford Circus at that time. It was we, we were very lucky when I looked back at it. And she was like, oh, are you OK? How did you get on? I went, oh, no, they loved me, mum. It'll be brilliant. <laughs> so that was that. And then, of course, three months later, I did, in fact, get in. So they did love me, which was very kind of them. But how wonderful of your mum to drive you up there and try and sort of guide you a little bit. Oh, no. and, and you're just like super confident and just went in there. I love, I love that about people when they just think, oh, OK, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to do it. And they don't spend hours thinking about all the negatives and just say, OK, here we go. I think I it's quite youthful, though, isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say it's complete naivety because I just didn't mm. get it at all. It just didn't. I just didn't get it. I just, yeah, so that that naivety is... But that's when you hang around young people. Isn't that gorgeous? I love that about young yes. people. Because they say yes. things and you in your heart you go, oh, my God, you have no idea what's coming. It's going to be awful. <laughs> but Or whatever. But it's so... No. That energy that young people bring to the table, you just have to bottle it. I love it. Yeah, if you could bottle it, I would. Mm, Do you exactly. know what I mean? Because it definitely it's inspiring and it's fresh and yeah. it's without the baggage that the oh, years I know, of I life know. yeah it's a bit like so, traveling to a city <clears throat> when you've been to the city but the person you're traveling with has never been so everything yes. is amazing and i and love they see that. it all with new yeah, eyes i love i just love that oh my god the eiffel tower it's amazing and you just go yeah whatever but it is amazing and that's i think really good really good my young assistant um we were in a cab pre-covid driving along the street and he's like I want to live here and I looked at him and I went it's bloody Regent Street and he's like but I want to live here I'm like okay but I love that that yeah. he didn't think it's Regent Street and it's really expensive and nobody's ever going to live on it he just sort of said this is where I want to live I'm like okay go for that yeah he said well exactly especially in this world there's no whole bars right so in London at the London College of Fashion mm. they saw this huge potential in you otherwise they wouldn't have given you the place which is mm. fabulous from there there's lots of covers there's lots of big name covers there's lots of big names on the covers what happened from london college which is makeup and style and then you bring the hair piece into it Mm. what what happened if i tell you the story jack i don't know if you'll quite believe me but i'll try it there's two there's two lines to this uh this story um two approaches and i'll try and make it as quick as i can so my whole thing is that I never say no. You never say no to anything. I'm with you. Right? Yeah. 
sometimes that has got me into trouble, by the way. So it's, so a little bit more crafting would have been good. But anyway, so I never say no to anything. So I'm at London College of Fashion. I don't have much money and I completely hadn't got my head around paying rent or anything. I don't know why. It just sort of didn't really occur to me. So um, I entered a competition for Salon Selectives shampoo thing. Um and I won it, actually, so that paid for my rent. But also, I had to get a job in a hair salon because I thought, well, I can cut hair, right? So I'm going to get a job in the hair salon to pay for my rent now that I've been able to stay at London College of Fashion because I paid the rent. So I had to continue that. So I got a job at Franco's in Soho. And in Soho, you just meet loads of people, right? Yes. So um, I met a... Gary Cockrell, which you might know, actually, Jack, uh, who's a makeup artist. He used to come into the salon to get his hair done. And he was, he is, Mr. Page, you might hate me for saying that, but Mr. Page 3 makeup artist. So Jordan, all of that, um, the whole thing. So he asked, or I asked him, I think, if, if there's anything, can I assist you? I didn't really care at that point. I was just like, I'll just go. To, I'll turn up to the opening of an envelope. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> um, I, I love this on this massive. Just like I'm just going to do it. I'm available. I mean, hungry. Hungry isn't the word for it. Which I is know. Fantastic, well, right? I didn't have a life, so I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't actually even drink alcohol at that point. So I was just ready to go 100 miles an hour wherever you wanted me, and I could drive a car which was essential, actually, as I worked out. Anyway, so I I turned up at Gary Cockrell's uh, page three uh, shoot where I was absolutely flabbergasted by uh, some of the stuff that we had to do with Jeannie Savage, a photographer who's a very famous uh, Daily Star photographer. Anyway, so I would help Gary and then one day he rang me up and said, oh, do you mind filling in for me? Uh, I have to go and do a bigger shoot. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's all right. It was £250 to do the Daily Star page three. So that paid for my rent. So all, all the time I'm like, got to pay the rent, right? Got to pay the rent. That was quite a lot of money then, though, wasn't oh, it? Oh, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not even sure if I even sent the first invoice because I wasn't sure it was true. <laughs> <laughs> They got one on me for the first time anyway. I made up for it, though, don't worry. (laughs) Soon worked it out. Anyway, so then uh, one... So I got friendly with Jeannie Savage at the Daily Star, who's a photographer, and she rung me up after I started filling in for Gary, and she rung me up and she asked me to do a... Uh, feature makeup, not me being the make, you know, just for a celebra- yeah. celebrities coming on the paper. So I rocked up, and do you remember Pop Idol? Um, I wasn't here, but I yes, yeah, because you would have been the, in America, yeah. but the American yeah. version or whatever. So X Factor yeah. rolled back twenty years. Yes. So they were doing a feature on not the winners, such was my life at the time but the second to the best. So the runners-up were Liberty X. So I was doing... So I got asked to do Liberty X, but because I could do hair and makeup, and I'm quite fast, so I did the whole band, and they worked out that I had no idea about money. So the manager asked me if I would be Liberty X makeup artist, hair and makeup artist which they got for about two pence. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be amazing. I mean, I would have turned up for nothing for years, but anyway, I didn't. Yeah. So so then, so I did, so I started on that road from the Daily Star working with Liberty X. Now, once you're in with a music person, it opens up lots and lots of avenues. So, Like everything in life, once you're in that door, yeah. things change, don't they? Yeah, and that, so that was one end. And then the other end was I went on Blind Date, and I think you might enjoy this story, Jack. So, uh, you know... You went on a Blind Date, or you went on the TV show Blind Date? went on the TV show. I love it. (laughs) So this is is the story, I think, to beat all stories. So, you know, my thing is, like, just rock up, just do it. So I was going to a party with a friend, actually, by Regent Street, and we were walking past this hotel. And I went, oh, look, they've got the auditions going on about Blind Date. Should we go in for a laugh? 
So my friend, my poor friend, she went, oh, yeah, all right then. So off we went. And then we went upstairs to, I think it was the Dorchester or something, some hotel, probably not as nice as that, actually. So we went up to the hotel and there was about 20,000 people uh, all sat on the floor. And I said to some woman, I was like, oh, I just can we audition to go on Blind Day? And she went, oh, yeah, that's fine. So we sat there for hours and hours and hours and it was just so boring because we were going to a party and I was all dressed up, ready to go to the party. So we got to actually finally getting auditioned to go on the show and the woman said, oh, why do you want to go on Blind Date? And I said, I don't bloody know. I've been here for bloody hours. I've got to get to a bloody party. (laughs) And that was that. And they loved it. I didn't even really occur to me that that was the appropriate answer, but of course it was the appropriate answer. Anyway, so circa, (laughs) (laughs) so I got very friendly with the producer because my tactic was I would cut anyone's hair for nothing, any time of the day or night. So, I mean, really, I mean, it was a bit weird, I think, because sometimes video directors would call me up at two o'clock in the morning, go, can I have a haircut? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Just get in my car and go do it. I mean, mad, like, really not. And anyone listening to this, please don't start doing that because you really don't have a life. (laughs) But I just loved it. Anyway, so um, I got friendly, given my attitude to hair and makeup, like... Uh, and an opening of an envelope. So the producer, uh, we became friends. I did his sister's wedding in Manchester, her hair and makeup for that. So this is the producer of Blind Day. I was number three, by the way. I didn't win, which was a blessing, but Scylla loved me. Uh, <laughs> so um, I was apparently the only person... So I own, I didn't have very much money when I went on the show and I'd spent... And I was quite fat, So I was really worried about how I would look. So I went to Selfridges. I remember going, right, I'm going to get something really, really nice for telly. So I only had one thing. So I I turned up in this pinstripe suit that I'd bought. It was £250, which was an unbelievable amount of money for me at that point. Uh, But it was black, obviously, skinny, thank you. And uh, But you're not supposed to wear black. This is like a little inside tip for everyone. You're not supposed to wear black when Scylla Black is on set. It's only Scylla that wears black. So I was on set at Blind Date. So I was on set at Blind Date, turned up with my one outfit. They did ask for three, but I just ignored them. And they went, well, you you know, where's your other outfit? And I was like, oh, I don't have any more money. I've just bought one, I'm afraid. And so Scylla heard me. She thought I was totally adorable. So she went, it's fine. (laughs) So there we are. I made history, me and Scylla in black together, which I think I did say on the TV show at the time. But anyway, so so the producer, (laughs) I... I, (laughs) I'm sorry. This is just... Brilliant. I don't know Absolutely. what your edit is going to be like, Tom, who's uh, editing in the background. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I go on and on and on. <laughs> I did want to say to you, though, that, I mean, I think that our era, we did so much work for absolutely nothing to get mm. the experience and we were really committed to that but there's this bigger conversation that's going on in the industry now about um, brands asking creatives to do stuff for free and the fact that everyone else at the brand is being paid yet the creatives aren't being paid mm. anything mm. where do you so obviously I mean for me too those all those sessions that I did for nothing have paid off in the long run mm. they don't for everybody and obviously you're incredibly successful and they've paid off for you as well in 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 banter <laughs> experience and career yeah. uh, i wish i had some story i wish i could remember my stories oh my god but- jack you have no idea of the story it's like oh, jesus make your uh make your granny cry where do you where do you sit with it now i mean obviously Times are different, as we acknowledged at the beginning of mm. this podcast. Are they, though? Are they different? I don't know. I, think, I mean, I'm, I'm just not, older. I don't... Th- I think the difference is, is it's easier to get information, right? Yes. So, you know, to find an, a makeup agent, it took me about three weeks, and I had to call, I had to walk around the streets, you know, just to get a phone number. Yeah. I only just got a mobile phone and there was no internet. God, can you believe I'm even saying that out loud? <laughs> oh my God, there was no internet. I mean, don't you just... No. Like, it's, it's so embarrassing, I am that old. But, um, so, I think the difference is now is it's 
you it's easier to get information so of course competition is harder because mm. because the good thing about our industry is that it has been uh brought to the forefront you know there's there's celebrity hairdressers like yourself jack and there's celebrity makeup artists and tv there's shows about it there's mm. so it's slightly more attractive to a young person i would hope anyway to become a hair and makeup artist so everybody wants to come on so it's easier to get information so i don't think it's different in the sense you still need all of the experience and quite frankly if you're 20 you don't need that much money do you i didn't need that much money i still don't think you really need that much money now so i just I think don't... if you're 20 i can't go and work for a brand for nothing i've got a mortgage and kids and really boring stuff but at 20, I could definitely afford to just go and rock up. I was gorgeous mm. and, you know, all plump, you know, and you get that juiciness when, you, when you're young, the juicy. And that's what, that's what the filler doesn't give you, does it? No, you know? babes. Oh, no. no I was doesn't... looking at that today thinking I should do that. But anyway. The, um, the glow of you. No, I know. No matter how much uh, I hit myself with bronzer. So you, when you're young and juicy, you should go out there and do stuff for free. I'm sorry. I just think, why would you not? You you have so many... It's better to say yes than to say no, isn't it? I personally think it's better to say yes to everything and then afterwards say, oh, that was a bloody mistake. I'm not doing that for them again, rather than just saying, oh, no, and sort of trying to weigh up the pros and cons because, of course, experience... You can't buy experience no. in that sense. No, and you can make up stories, but there's nothing like a story that's the truth but so unbelievable. Right. <laughs> that's the best one. And also, when I started shooting and I didn't shoot earlier in my my career I didn't do anything like that I mean I was so commercial behind the chair making the money but when I actually started doing that the idea that you know the amount of money that this stuff costs and so I did look for models that wanted their hair done free I did look for stylists that wanted to work with me for nothing so we all got some images and you know a photographer that would do it for you know either a test or not so much money and mm. you know you don't start off spending ten thousand pounds on a shoot you start off doing them free and hopefully you don't spend £10,000 on a shoot because there's an awful lot of money. But it gets to be expensive. But I think that if I hadn't have done that stuff, if I hadn't have done, like in the UK, press, you know, you do press and it's like, mm. it's all complimentary and you, I wouldn't have had the exposure. And without the exposure, I wouldn't be where I am now. So it's sort of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Well, uh I think you would have wasted your £10,000 as well if you spent £10,000 on your yes. first shoot because it would have been exactly. awful. <laughs> A disaster, no? Exactly. What I tell my team, no matter if you're the art director on the salon floor, but if you've never been on a shoot, you might as well be the tea lady as far as I'm concerned. And in fact, if you can make a cup of tea, I found that one of my best skills ever. And I did that for you too for a little while. To That was my job because they paid me so much money. I didn't do anything but just made you two cups of tea. Um, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it was their wife that uh, I had to break them. But anyway, there's another story there. But on a... So if you've never been on a shoe and you're like Mr. Art Director in the salon, you're still nothing when you get on a shoe. So turn yes. up, rock up. What, what yeah. could you lose? And be the best tea maker on set because people will love you. You don't turn up on set to be the star. You turn up no. on set to be with people. And then what I tell my team is, right, go and talk to the photographer's assistant Go and talk to the lighting guy's assistant and talk yes. to the... And then take each other's numbers and then arrange to meet for a pint, get drunk together and start talking about ideas. And before you know it, you're starting your own team that in 10 years' time you can charge 10 grand yes. for. That's, yes. that's the point. I'm still best friends with the people that I started shooting with, Many, not Gary Cockrell, because he went on to carry on doing, like, uber glamorous stuff. And I wanted to be, quite frankly, a little bit cooler. But um, all my fashion buddies I'm still friends with. And yes. we, we've we been all over the world. We've been to Miami. Well, we used to go to Miami three times a year. South Africa, Harbour Island. And, oh, my God, just had such a laugh getting paid loads of money. <laughs> what am I doing in a salon? <laughs> eventually, eventually getting paid loads of money. I think that's it, isn't it? I mean, people look mm. at 
people look at people, some people look at people and kind of say, oh, they're successful, I want to be like that. But they don't always realise the story behind it. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, it takes a long... That instant success, I don't think, has as much longevity. It can fade really quickly rather than that long road that you build up to it. Because every section, every point, you get a little bit higher yeah. and a little bit higher. Well, and to, give, to give you a timeline, uh, I was 23 when I, won, when I was number three on Blind Day. What's your name? Where are you from? No, I'm Charlotte. I'm from Leeds. Uh, and then I was 33... 33, 34, when I was charging, I suppose people want to know, don't they? So it's like a 1,200 a day. But if I was doing three bands in a day, so I would do Blink 182, Coldplay and Busted or something, and then I would charge that per band. So if I'm up at five o'clock in the morning. But, you know, my hours were insane. You know, that, yes. that's a... And although I have to say, this is going back to your point where things have changed, that has changed. So that money train does not exist anymore. So there's no money in music anymore. There's there's just not... Uh, so the noughties definitely were naughty. So this is where it can come back round to a little bit 80s, where hairdressing has come... The, the shoot work has come from a salon and a product because that's where the money is, is the product. Yes. So, so yes, going to work for a product for free is a bit annoying but actually I do believe that is now where you get the shoot work from I don't believe you get the shoot work from old school like I did from being on it's the entry level isn't it really on a tv show yeah it's then exactly exactly it's the entry level and it's also I think the other thing that guys maybe don't understand is it's content and if you are doing it for free you're getting content from it you know and you're also That word. And you're also accredited with the product company too, which mm. can have a gravitas to it that um, that maybe you wouldn't necessarily get just on your own straight away. I mean, it's all about working up the ladder. It is. And also a product, if it's just... I, I can't really give you a an example because then other brands would be offended. Yes. But we don't want to offend anyone no, on this exactly, podcast. No, exactly, because we love all our products. <laughs> we love everyone brands. we love everyone we just love us not fight us anyway but one product is owned as you know for well jack is owned by a huge company that has yes. a million products that you know might have a campaign or a fashion show that's coming up that needs yeah. a nice young thing who's really available and who makes really nice tea and goes to cut the hair for nothing at two o'clock in the morning, which, you know. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Charlotte. So you were doing all of this yes. amazing stuff. Yes. I mean, you know, three different brands in a day, the money's pouring in, it's like good times mm. let and as my friends at work say make it rain you know yeah, yeah, as the yeah. money's going through um but then you decided to open a salon in my inability to say no to anything i still so i worked at franco's years and years ago do you remember but all the clients still wanted me to cut their hair so Sometimes I'd cut their hair at two o'clock in the morning or in my living room or in my bathroom. or So all in the background while I was doing the shoots, I still was cutting Kate's hair, who's nurse. And sometimes I'd forget, though, and leave them on the doorstep. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'd be at a party somewhere and they'd be ringing me up going, Charlotte, you said you'd colour my hair at nine o'clock tonight. Are you coming? And I'd be like, oh, so, no, I'm ill. <laughs> Terrible. Was, but no, I, I always, I never lied. Actually, I've never thought. I always think the truth is more funny than the than a lie. So I just go, I'm really pissed in a party. I'm really sorry, I can't. But anyway, so people used to come around to my house, and I never stopped cutting hair at home because I can't say no to anyone, and I love cutting hair and blah blah blah. So you'd get this really weird section of life and by the way I still do some of my clients uh, I did Kate yesterday who is that NHS nurse who came in from a night shift for her highlights and Chris Martin was asleep on the sofa because he was having like chill out time um, and just had to escape he was just getting famous at that point he was like crazy famous at the beginning 
um, and he'd come for a rest on my sofa. So Kate was like creeping by. So still cutting hair, still doing the bands. Then I had a baby and you can't just wake up and go, oh, I'll go to New York tomorrow because you can't do that anymore. Um, no. So I was... Ch- and working from home was becoming more dissatisfactory. So my son was growing up. I was still working from home and shooting and stuff and trying to balance it out. But products, you know, the industry was changing. You know, there was this guy called Jack Howard who was doing balayage in LA and New York. And I didn't know what a balayage was. <laughs> and also my three-year-old, this was, uh, Bill was three by this point, would come waddle into my studio at home and take my client's handbags and throw it out the door and go, bye. Because <laughs> he didn't really know why yeah. why I wasn't spending time with him while I was cutting other people's hair. On, the, on, the, on this podcast, a lot of women have talked about, and of course it's always women who are impacted mm. by the kids and all of that. The guys somehow seem to yeah. s- still get on and do what they want. But a lot of women have talked mm. about work-life balance and how, how the struggle to get that and find that and to also to own the fact that you want some balance? Yeah, the balance thing. Ooh, that's a difficult one. You might have to... That might have to be a different podcast, Jack, because I don't know if there is a balance. The trick is to accept there is no balance. It's all a nightmare and a mess, but just don't get angry about it because it's really unattractive (laughs) and you still want to be gorgeous no matter what what age you are. (laughs) And is that really is that really how you see it that it's all a mess and that you just smile your way through it and just don't get angry about it? Do you, is that how you is that how you balance it all? Because of course, mm. if you're raging about something, it really does sort of seep into everything and it's awful. Bitterness is a genuinely unattractive trait. In a, it's just it's not fun to be around. It's annoying. I don't like myself. You know, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not walking around with bunny rabbit ears and I'm, the world is amazing. But I do think you have to have a word, you have to check yourself sometimes. Like if I'm getting angry or annoyed that I'm tired or my hands are hurting, I'm worried about my arthritis and my children or, you know, the house isn't clean enough or, you know, the one, there's, there's a million things you could complain about. But I do think at the end of the day, you just have to go, well, you know, the there's always someone worse off and it's a cliche but it's always true and just be a bit just be really grateful like be super excited like I could not be more excited to be on this podcast I think it's awesome I love meeting new people and Mm. also it's really impressed my staff like Lauren my um, salon director she was like oh you've got the podcast I'm going on holiday on Wednesday and I can listen to it and so it's it's a great you should have that being bitter is awful so don't do that that's what i say and there is no balance and it is all a mess so just get on with it <laughs> yeah i sort of you know i try and sort of i try and sort of bend with the breeze or the wind or the hurricane i try and move with it and there are days when that's okay and then there are other days when i can just feel yeah. this rage coming inside of me but i'm quite sort of vocal and so i can get that out of me quite quickly and move on to the next thing the unfortunate thing is that i leave people standing in the wake of my rage sometimes so. well everybody can but to be honest you're a talent and i think if you're creative and sometimes it's a bit that sort of dyslexic thing where it just falls out of your mouth and I, I remember having dinner with you two once and I was sat next to this guy and I was like, oh, why are you here? And he's like, oh, I'm working with you two. And I was like, oh, aren't they amazing? What are you working on? He's like, oh, we're going to be doing a new album. And I put my hand on his knee and I went, honestly, you'll do so well because you two are so lovely. Aren't they amazing? And then we left the dinner table. Somebody was obviously ushering me away. And then the stylist of you two was in the lift and she went, oh, you don't know who that was, was you? And I was like, what, Mike? I went, oh, he's so lovely. He's working with you too, isn't he? Oh, he's going to do really well. And she went, that's Michael Stipe from R.E.M. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, and I, I literally did the knee squeeze and went, you're going to do so well. <laughs> you know, like, who's this woman? Just rocked off the, the boat. <laughs> the, that's so, brilliant. So I think you just, at the end of the day, roll roll with it. Yes, sometimes you're going to be horrible, but you can't take that home with you. And part of those building blocks of 
you know, leaving somebody in standing in the hurricane. Well, they'll soon learn, won't they, Jack? <laughs> oh, no. I think, I think I've got better with age. And also the other thing that I've got better with that, and this sort of brings us round to sort of 20, 2020 mm. and what a year it's been. I found that because we're working in pods in the salon, so mm. there's less people in the salon and there's less people in all those chairs, that I've actually found it a more joyful experience to be actually busy in the salon because it's felt less stressful and I felt that I've been able to look after my clients in the mm. manner in which I want them to be looked after when they're paying all that money. There's, I, there's the deliverables that I want from mm. the people around me as well, as well as myself. And I've just found that to be much more satisfactory and I, I don't want to go back to pre-COVID where it was like the whole salon was rammed mm. and you couldn't move and it was difficult and it was manageable, but it felt to me internally that it was just like this huge stuff going on. Whereas now I feel like, yeah, I can do this. This is great. And I'm having mm. fun and it's more joyful for me. Well, also within, if it's chaos as a creative, you can thrive on chaos, but then there's no time to stand back and enjoy what you've created. And I think with yes. more time... I will never go back to booking in 20 clients in one hour <laughs> uh, because for, right. I mean, not, that's an exaggeration because I definitely couldn't do that. But, um, you know, when there's too many balls spinning, you can't stand back and go, oh, I did that. Isn't that amazing? And that is really one of the joys of our jobs. I think that... Um I mean, in the States, I used to do like up to 28, 29 clients a day, mm. but you had tons of assistants helping you and you had the space too. And suddenly, you know, in England, never has, not, there's no mm. space in England, it feels like. Everything's I would cramped. make space for you, Jack, um, don't worry. But I feel... Tw 20, 28 uh, clients in I'm a day, coming. seriously? <laughs> oh, can't do that. I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do eight to nine clients in a day and... But when, when it, I've got space around me and there's less less people in the salon, that feels really, really easy. It's when you're doing eight to ten clients and everyone else yeah. is doing eight to ten clients and they're like, you know, three assistants haven't called in and the receptionists aren't on point today for, you know, all sorts of reasons and it's just like boom, boom, boom and it's just like, whoa. And I kind of feel like sort of after lockdown, mm. because when we're still in COVID, of course, after lockdown, it feels like because you can't have that many people for safety reasons, but it actually there's mm. a plus in it for me. I think it's a, to be stripped back. I mean, we ha sadly we had to change how we deal with reception, and so we just stripped everything back and made everything so lowered our yeah. costs um, and improved on service. I mean, it's a kind of a win-win, really. And there's less people in the salon, and you could. Sometimes you can panic about that, but if you... My husband's an accountant, smart me, rock star. Marry, marry the rock star or marry yes. the accountant. Well, we know our, we all know how the rock star marriage would have gone. <laughs> so I, cho I chose the accountant yes. 20 years later. But he said, the answer is always in the money, in the figures. The answer is always in the figures. So, yes. and if you're happier... So sitting in the saddle of the quiet time in terms of less clients, less bodies and stand back and enjoy the creativity. And and that way, you can then develop your skills and have the time to be a little bit more couture about what you do and take risks, which is what I think we talked about a little bit on our sofa together, Jack. That is the thing that we talked about. And I think that you've segued brilliantly into that. And I, I don't want to lose this piece of the conversation in the podcast. So we talked about the fact that so many young hairdressers, so many hairdressers, not just young hairdressers, myself included, can be concerned about a really crap review on Google or Facebook or Yelp or whatever it is because a client isn't happy. And so quite often what seems to happen is that after a few times of people not being happy with something, you take less and less risks and you just do the trim or the basic or the mm. simplest approach to it. And you and I talked about how do we, in this that kind of era, encourage the team to to go for it, to produce great hair, to if to say something, listen, that 
six inches off that and you'll look absolutely fantastic. We don't need a, a Kate Middleton trim. We want a proper mm. haircut here. We're going to put a fringe in today. We're not worried that you might be break up hair. We're going to give you something that's beautiful that we feel, that I feel it's going to suit you. But so many of us in our industry are frightened of doing that now because of the, this culture where people won't necessarily say something fabulous about you, but they'll soon as hell mm. write it about you. And you delivered something amazing to me when you spoke of that. Do you want? Do you, uh, am I am I going to repeat that, or are you going to quote me, Jack? <laughs> we can we can both repeat it because you you've set up a a way in which a client can complain and allow the hairdresser, your team members, yes. to take ownership of that. And you have a theory behind it, don't you? Well, I think if you. If the client can see the mistake, it's normally you can see it as well. So you, you yes. the, I, I, I never really understand why people go ah! at the backwash and then start drying off. And you know when you get that horrible feeling, you're like, oh my god. When you, I always say it's when yeah, your top lip's exactly. sweating. Well, it's normally yeah. when my knickers are sweating. Now <laughs> 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 I'm menopausal, it's all sweating. But anyway. Um, uh, and I just don't really understand why you don't say how you feel. You know, the honesty is better than a lie. Always, it's always funnier, yes. and it's always and people really love honesty. So I would just go. I think your colours. Can I say shit on the show? I don't know. <laughs> well, you've said it now. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that your colours a bit, you know, under par so to speak, um, yes. and just say it. I'm not happy. Are you happy? And then if the client goes, well, if you're not happy, I'm not happy, or go, no, I'm so glad you say it. Or if they go, well, I'm really happy with it, then you go, well, this is the reasons why I'm not happy with it. And have the conversation. So if they are happy, you go, well, that's great. But bear it, just keep, this- keep in contact with me. Let's keep the dialogue going. Yes. Because... A, a, an alarm bell is flagging in my mind that in 10 days' time, you know, that is, that, you know, honey blonde is going to tarnish into copper. <laughs> and it's not, it's not going to, it's not, oh, you change the light or you get to the bathroom. So that is the first thing. But the main thing is the conversation to start with. It's all right saying, oh, I'm going to cut a fringe in your hair and it's going to look amazing. Well, how does the client know that? They're like, well, you're not me and I'm not in the mood for a fringe. Yeah, and there's no point saying the same thing, expecting a different answer going, oh, but you'd really suit a fringe. And they're like, well, I don't want a fringe, but you'd really suit a fringe. So cha- change right. the story. So I say I am the director and you are my movie star so what we're going to do is we're going to build a film together so i am going to direct you in my movie what does your movie look like so the haircut is the last thing you would talk about talk about what chair you know what chair do you like you know is it an eames chair is it a wicker chair in the 70s are you wearing you know i'd I talk about the girl. Now, you will know this, Jack, because you know colour like no one. Oh, I don't uh, know about that. I, don't, don't test well, me. My God. Well, oh, I know I might do now. You're challenging me. Um, <laughs> so are you the girl that's in the Chloe white dress walking through the summer fields, running your fingers through some wheat, right? Or are you the girl right. sat in a Paris cafe with a Breton stripe and boots, having a coffee, normally a fag in my case. But now you would be able to tell me what you think those colours would look like, right? Right. Do you I see think my so. point? Yeah. yeah. So, we, well, who is the blonde <clears throat> and who's the brunette? The blonde is walking through the wheaty field. Exactly. Yeah. Exactamon, monsieur. Exactement. And our brunette, <laughs> our brunette is in our cafe. So, so already... You can give the client an imagery without even mentioning hair colour, without even talking about it. So if they're... It's about the story. Yes. It's about the story. Every time, every time. And if the story has an ending, this is sometimes I do say this, is, well, that's that's not how my ending was meant to turn out. 
<laughs> We've got to have to do a part two here, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, then the clients don't mind, do they? They're kind of in their own movie. They've, you know, and then also, you know, this part of the movie is going to be like this. And then towards the end of the movie, as in in January, in your next booking, because already I'm thinking I've got to book ahead of my clients, right? Let's do an annual. Yeah. Let's book the whole movie for the year. You know, it's beautiful. It seems seamless because they're buying into something that helps me out because then I'm like, we can direct your colour for the whole year. So it helps our money coming in, you know, raining and all of that. It engages the client because the they're excited because they are, for the first time, the centre of their own movie and they've got a whole year to film it with me as they create their style and they work through. But you, but the, the thing that really resonated with me was that you encouraged your staff to kind of say, I don't like it, I'm not happy with the result, or if the client says they're not happy for the staff to say why, yeah. and to let the client be and speak and that everyone seemed better off and safer in the in the environment that you've built in that and that it's um you know yeah you're going to talk about what you're going to do but if suddenly the client you know the result isn't what you wanted or what isn't what the client wants it's not like oh it'll be okay in a week but let's put a tone on it you're fine three weeks time you'll be happy with it what you're saying is address it address it nip it in the bud exactly right there and then and if you are if you have got like a six nine violet pinky overtone on your highlights and you know that's going to happen if you want this colour tell the client it's like oh it's got a bit of a pinky hue to it uh do you like it are you up for that it'll only last a couple of washes and she might go yes or no but it's giving the client the control of the story and and allowing and I have to say about the whole complaint thing I don't really get it because the clients should trust you enough to be able to communicate with you and rather than write some two-bit article on whatever platform it is I'm not interested in them anyway and the only time I've had those kind of complaints is from you know one of them was a junior whose hair I cut which quite frankly I thought I was doing the biggest favour in the world but she went home crying (laughs) because I cut more than an inch off I mean not I'm not gonna lose any sleep over that um (laughs) But the client, <laughs> but the clients should feel they're in a safe place with the team because I always back my team up. So sometimes, if a client complains, I correct it. So that's yeah. one of my philosophies because it's my name, and this is where I come with my team. I said, if you mess up a colour. They're not going to go, oh, Daniel, who works at Charlotte Cave, was the one that messed up your colour. It's Charlotte Cave no. messing up the colour. So I'm going yeah. to come down with raining charm <laughs> over that client who's got a dodgy set of, or a dodgy, but lumpy balayage or whatever it is. Uh, and I'm going to oh, rain... Whatever it is on that day, yeah. Exactly. I'm going to rain charm and go, I am so sorry. And what can we do to change the end of our story together and the clients almost trust you more for being honest and then acknowledging the the yes. mess or not mess i i always think that if i'm unhappy about something i'm not like if i go to a restaurant and you know it's like you're waiting too long in between courses or whatever i'm not complaining to get something mm. free i just want to be heard i just want to i just want somebody to acknowledge the fact that i'm disappointed yeah. that's all yeah. That's mainly where it goes. It only sort of, you know, and I think most people, they're not, people aren't mean-spirited. Most people, if you say, look, I'm not happy, then they're like, what can I do? I'm so sorry. But the key, the interesting thing, oh, you've brought that beautifully to my table there, Jack, thank you. The brilliant thing about that restaurant comparison, you know, when you're waiting between courses. Yeah. So I am your waitress and you're sat there and you're getting a little, you're starving and you're waiting between courses. Instead of you having to acknowledge and flag down a waiter and go through that awkward, the waiter comes up to you, bobs down and goes, look, this is a couple of glasses of champagne on the house. I am so sorry you have to wait, but it will be the most delicious yeah. um, plate of food you have ever eaten. And we totally appreciate your patience and if there is anything I can do. So acknowledge them before you get to yes. the point where you're just Hank Marvin. <laughs> yes. Or hangry or whatever it's, it is. 
hangry, <laughs> hangry. I'm always hangry. But yeah, it's absolutely right. I think that it's up to us to catch those things mm. rather than the client bring them to the forefront. Yes, exactly. Language, language, language is ki- language is king. Or queen. Or queen. Yes, exactly. Well, not Whatever in this matriarchal world that we live in, quite frankly, Jack. The kings still get paid more. <laughs> but, but, but that is definitely a different episode. <laughs> that is definitely a different episode. Charlotte, I just wanted to say thank you so much for today. I mean, what a, what a great story. And I haven't covered half the things I want to cover with you. Um, just my- lots of fun, truly inspirational chat there for people. And... Um, and just a really nice way in which you bring the story to the table. Thank you so, so much. Oh, well, it's my absolute pleasure because, you know, I'm really excited about everything. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it is it is my pleasure. And for those listening, just uh, be positive, say yes to everything and enjoy the ride. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favourite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolour.com. dot